genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today, we are beginning our mini-series on the live-action films of Wes Anderson, with his first film released in 1996, Bottle Rocket. And we have a guest joining us to talk about 75-year plans, botched robberies, and James Caan doing karate is Chris Callahan. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. Of course. So. Bottle Rock. Well, so Wes Anderson, let's start there. So so first off, um, if you don't follow us on Twitter or maybe you don't listen to the in-between episodes where we talk about this, it might seem weird that a show about franchises is talking about the filmography of a single director. But my opinion is that there are a few directors out there that are so singular that they kind of are a franchise in and of themselves. And I think that Wes Anderson definitely applies to that. And that's why we are covering it, you know, and, and, you know, we've got French dispatch this year. So it just felt like a good time to revisit Wes Anderson and, and talk about it. I honestly didn't think that it was going to win the polls, but, uh, uh, shocking. I think everyone it did, which is very exciting. And so I want to talk about our feelings on Wes Anderson. I want to know what was the first Wes Anderson movie that you saw, Chris? For me, it was uh, Rushmore. I saw that in the theater. Um, I believe it came out. It came out in late '98, so I think I saw it yeah. early '99 uh, when I got up to New Hampshire, where I grew up. And um, I was in. See, I was a freshman in high school, and it just hit me. It was like the yeah. perfect film, and it stayed as my number one, still going on. It just and so I did Rushmore first. Then when I learned about Bottle Rocket later, which I wonder if a lot of people kind of had that path where Rushmore was kind of mm-hmm. the first big big hit, and you kind of work back from there. What is it about Wes Anderson that you like? You know, it just it's it's just all so specific. It's hard to pin down exactly, but just like when he goes into like the close-ups, the miniatures, just his whole style. And you're right, it's just he has that singular, even if it's um very different themes setting in different places, you can kind of feel that same kind of flow to every yeah. one of his films. Nick, as a as a Texan, as a fellow Texan, yes, Wes Anderson has always struck me as it's a it's a thing where I constantly forget that he's a Texan. Because of his very European influenced style and everything, so how as a Texan, where who what was the first Wes Anderson movie for you to have watched, and and how long was it before you learned that he was a Texan? Well, not just a Texan, but a, a Texan that many people forget is Texan. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I relate to him on that level too, and I think there's <laughs> that's a very particular bl- brand of Texan. Of mm-hmm. like, I wish I was in a city. I wish I was somewhere metropolitan. Mm-hmm. I hate these big, beautiful blue skies and endless <laughs> flat land. But the first Wes Anderson movie I saw in theaters, and I think period, I may have watched Royal Tenenbaums on DVD before this. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. my brother had that. And he like was like, oh, this is great. You should watch this. But I watched Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou in theaters with my dad. Mm. I think of 2004 as like the year I fell in love with film. 
that uh-huh. was when I really kicked it into high gear and I was reading Entertainment Weekly every Friday and and they had their fall movie preview and yeah. Life Aquatic was like, you know, dead center. And I just saw Bill Murray in these very and, and these other actors in these really particular brightly colored costumes mm-hmm. and that title. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this is a comedy. And, <laughs> and so I sat down and watched that with my dad. And it was I think we were the only ones in the theater. Yeah. And it was just this crazy experience where it was so funny. It reminded because, you know, my dad and I, we used to love watching like Three Amigos and Mel Brooks mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And his sense of humor isn't unlike Mel Brooks. Right. You know, if you think about it. Yeah. And, and it just has this sort of like French New Wave inspired. Yeah. Cinef- you know, yeah. To, yeah. Not to, <laughs> like just slapped on top of the on top of the Mel Brooksian kind of humor. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, not to not to ramble, but it, it, it reminds me a lot of Christopher Nolan, where mm-hmm. his the veneer and just the way he looks. A lot of people assume, oh, here's this hipster. Here's this his nose pointed up at the populace. But Tiny if you watch glasses, it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but if you watch his movies, Christopher Nolan and Wes Anderson, they're very entertaining like wide anyone can enjoy movies. I remember post Life Aquatic, I was like, "Whoa, that was insane." And then I started falling into the mythology and then yeah, I was really excited by finding out that he and the Wilson brothers were all from Austin or you know went went to UT and it just kind of added to the mystique of Austin growing right. up. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for me it was also Rushmore. I saw that in theaters and I don't remember what I feel like the, there was a strong marketing presence for Rushmore on MTV at the time, which is probably how I found out about it. Went and saw the movie and was just sort of like, what is this? Because yeah. <laughs> I've, you know, you have never seen a movie like this before. Like, it, it's so specific. And I didn't even know it was doing things that I didn't even know you could do in movies, like a montage of unmoving single shots, you know? And And I was like, what what they, they might as well be photographs but they're not but they but they kind of are cuz everyone's posing for photographs and the whole aesthetic of it we'll talk about it when we when we next week when we cover Rushmore but like the whole that whole movie is sort of a lot of the aesthetics is both like plays but also like yearbook and so you combine those things and you get the aesthetic of Rushmore which then evolves into the sort of Wes Anderson aesthetic um that I think really comes to term in the Royal Tenenbaums. But with this movie, with Bottle Rocket, I don't think I saw this for a long time. And there's a good reason for that, as we'll get into as I go through the development process of this movie. But I remember seeing it and just being like, huh, that's a lot more... uh, Who's the other (laughs) Texan guy? Who's the other Texan guy? Richard Linklater. uh, Yes. Oh, yeah. A lot more Richard Linklater. Thank you, Nick. A lot more (laughs) Richard Linklater than Wes Anderson. And I was surprised by that. There were like little Wes Anderson flares throughout, but I was very surprised by how un-Wes Anderson the movie felt. Let's get into it. So much like our previous franchise, Spy Kids, we do have to go back a little further than we normally do (laughs) because we have to talk about where this guy comes from. And I'm going, I'm about to tell you guys a story that it sounds like I'm just telling you something from a Wes Anderson movie, but this actually (laughs) happened. At the age of 12, Wes Anderson gathered his parents together in the living room and made a presentation as to why at the age of 12, he should be allowed to move to France by himself 
and go to school because apparently the science program is better, which isn't true. That was just <laughs> something that he made up. But like he had a whole presentation for them and like sat them down and like pitched them on letting him go to France. They said no. And then they got divorced shortly after. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so that divorce uh, apparently sort of drove him crazy in terms of like, what, what does anything mean at that point? You know, and because he was old enough that he, you know, my parents are divorced, but I, they got divorced when I was five. I don't remember them together, like at all. So like their divorce kind of means nothing to me. But for him at 12, sure. it means everything, yeah. right? That's a really big deal for a 12 year old. And so, you know, he had trouble in school. He had trouble paying attention. He wanted to like focus on the things that he enjoyed drawing and art and, and all of these things. And so he was getting bad grades and, but the, there there was a teacher in fourth grade who very specifically realized that he needs to siphon all of his creativity in one big thing so that he can focus the rest of the time. So what she did was create a point system where every day that I don't catch you, unfocused and not focusing on class, you will get a point. And then I don't know how many points it was, but you collect enough points and then I will let you put on a five minute play for the school. Nice. Wow. <laughs> so never unfocused again because it was all about like, okay, I just got to be good this day. I got to focus, got to do my homework. So I get a point. So I'm that much closer to doing my next play. Another day saved by a public educator. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true. And those plays were things like, mostly they were adaptations of children's books that he really enjoyed scenes from children's books and also recreations of scenes from movies. The Vietnam scene in Rushmore is very much, uh, <laughs> very much inspired by one of the plays that he put on, one of the five minute plays that he put wow. on. <laughs> so, okay, so, so that happens. Now we, we push forward. That's how he got through grade school. We push forward to him getting, in 1987, becoming a freshman at University of Texas, UT, as, as Nick called it. Right. <laughs> and that's where Wes meets Owen Wilson in a playwriting class. They both have different stories about how they met. It always involves the same corridor at school, but Owen Wilson says Wes Anderson came up to him and cast him in a play that he was doing, and uh, also that he wore a monocle which apparently wasn't true. It's believable, though, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Wes Anderson says that Owen Wilson uh, just randomly walked up to him one day and started asking him about the play that he was writing as if they were, like, best friends already. That uh, one seems more true to me, but I don't know. <laughs> so uh, they became really good friends over the four years at UT, and after graduation, moved into an apartment in Dallas in a sort of run-down part of town. And they shared that apartment. That apartment had Wes Anderson, Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Andrew Wilson, and Bob M Musgrave, all in the same, like, I think yep. one or two bedroom apartment. And it was a rundown apartment. And it had all of these, like, problems. The latch on the front door was bad. And it was drafty as hell. And so every winter, they were just, like, freezing. <laughs> wow. And so they would go to their, their landlord. And they would be like, hey. Mm -hmm. fix our apartment like what do you like please and then it's just like if you wanted your apartment fixed the landlord if you wanted your apartment fixed you wouldn't be living in this part of town so don't really care wow so they put together a plan and they're like okay here's what we're gonna do 
that window in the kitchen, the latch is broken. It, you can just slide it right open. So what we're going to do is we're going to break into our own apartment and we're going to steal all of our things and take them to our parents' house. And then we're going to call the police and report it. And then he'll have no choice but to fix our apartment. The first plan. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so, they, <laughs> so they do it. And then the cops show up. The landlord shows up. No one believes them. They all think it was an inside job. And no one, and no one does anything. Oh, man. But... What that situation gave them instead was Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson the idea for Bottle Rocket. Amazing. Off of that situ- off of the self heist, <laughs> they wrote a screenplay, a feature screenplay for a movie called Bottle Rocket, and that took a couple of years. And then once they had the feature screenplay, they went to their family and they basically asked for money to try and make the movie. And they're like, "We can make this for really cheap. We're going to make the whole movie." It's going to be black and white, 16 millimeter. We can, we can make the whole movie. And they're like, great. And they ended up raising $4,000. <laughs> and they shot what would amount to about eight minutes of the feature and then ran out of money. And we're like, okay, so what are we going to do? So a family friend, L.M. Kit Carson, who's the writer of Paris, Texas, comes in and helps them get a little bit more funding so that they can produce another five minutes. And then they take that and they make a 13-minute short film. They enter it into Sundance. It gets in. And then after Sundance, the short film sort of moves its way through Hollywood and it eventually comes to James L. Brooks, who sees the short. And there's something about this director, the voice of this director, that he's like, there's something here that needs cultivating. And so he invites them all out to Los Angeles. And there's this story about how he he's like, all right, let me read your feature. So he gives them they give him the screenplay and he starts reading the feature. And about halfway through, he closes the script, puts it down and then starts watching a basketball game. (laughs) And Owen and Wes are horrified. And he's basically like, hey, so I'm not going to read the rest of this until it's good. Because this is not good. (laughs) And he's like, there's there's nothing here. It's a lot of rambling. It's a lot of walking around. There's not a plot. There's just not enough here. But he did say that I think there's a kernel here that I want, again, I want to cultivate. And so he makes them a development deal. He has a deal, a development deal at Sony Pictures. And so they go to the lot on Culver City. He gives them an office. He gives them $100 per day per diem. And that's more money than they've ever seen in their life. That's $700 a week in the early 90s, which is, you know, more money than, than more money than God, as far as they're <laughs> concerned solid. at this yeah. point. That's yeah. what the Simpsons will get you. Yeah. Hey, yes. Gracie Films. The whole game, yeah. <laughs> and so they are developing and improving the script over the course of two years in a very long, drawn out process because Wes Anderson is very frustrating to work with. He has opinions and he will not budge from those opinions and so eventually they got it to a point where everyone was like moderately happy with it uh and wes anderson was thrilled with it but everyone else was just like i guess go ahead i don't want to develop this any longer so they start making the movie and it's like 
I mean, as you saw when you rewatched the movie, guys, like it's a Columbia Pictures yeah. movie. Which <laughs> logo, I was yeah, shocked like, by. Hey, yeah. yeah, I was like shocked by that. I was like, this is a studio movie? This? Yeah. There's not like 16 uh, different production yes. company logos. Yeah, right, right. Funded by all these countries, put money into it. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. So they're like, okay, you're greenlit. So then Wes, having just seen Drugstore Cowboy, Gus Van Sant's, I think, debut feature, right? Was that his wow. debut? I don't know, actually. I think it is. I think it is. If it's not, it's the one that put him on the map for sure. Mm. The cinematographer of that, Robert Yalman, he was like really impressed with this guy's cinematography. And he was like, I think we would be really good at working together. So he finds Robert Yalman's address somehow. Um, Robert (laughs) Yalman to this day has no idea how he found him. How? (laughs) But he writes Robert Yalman a handwritten letter and basically says, hey, I really liked your work in Drugstore Cowboy. I would you be willing to be a cinema the, the cinematographer on my debut feature? It was just greenlit by you know Columbia. So Yaoman is like, I mean, how could I turn this kid down? Like it's <laughs> it's a handwritten letter. He somehow found my address. Like I've got to do this. And of course, Robert Yaoman would go on to be the cinematographer for every single Wes Anderson live action feature after this. Uh, wow. So. You know, Wes Anderson like really stuck to it. Like he so was like, romantic. "No, this is this yeah. is my guy. This is my guy. No one else will do." So that's pretty cool. Nah, yeah. By the way, have either of you seen the Bottle Rocket short? Actually, just this weekend, I, I was playing around with the. I have the Criterion Blu-ray, and it has the yeah. full short on there. It was it was impressive. I had never I had not watched it before this weekend, and yeah. it stands out as like a little, little kind of little snippet of the big movie. What it became? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot more Clerks than I was expecting. Yep, yep. Which is, you know, the rambling that 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 I think James L. Yep. Brooks was talking about. But it is it is uh, it is an interesting watch for sure. Um, but yeah, Mr. Henry was a new character in the feature to add an extra element to the feature, some more like plot, so that it isn't just a series of Owen Wilson's character like coming up with new <laughs> robberies <Yeah>. and new <laughs> heists. They brought Mr. Henry into the situation to sort of like add a little bit of like extra something so they had this character of mr henry when they wrote the character there was only one actor that wes anderson wanted to play this role and that actor of course was bill murray (laughs) (laughs) and he was like i want bill murray and they're like okay so the thing with bill murray is he doesn't have an agent he doesn't have a manager he has a phone number that you call and you leave a message and if he likes the project he will show up on set and if he doesn't, he won't. That's just how he operates. Yeah. And you got to catch and, him first. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so they're somewhere. like, <laughs> yeah. And so they're like, I, 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 I think it's fine if you want to like leave a message, but like we need to cast somebody for real because this movie can't handle something like that. Uh, and we do need a big name in this movie. So we actually need to legitimately cast somebody. We can't just like bring in one of your buddies to play Mr. Henry. So. <laughs> This is a studio feature, for God's sake. <laughs> so, so he leaves the message for Bill Murray. It never gets respond, responded. You know, Bill Murray never shows up on set or anything. So that he's just like, okay, well, that didn't work out. But Wes shared an agent with James Kahn. Um, James L. Brooks was also friends with Kahn or, or associates with Kahn. And so they met Kahn and James L. Brooks. And he was like, listen, I've got these kids. They're making this movie called Bottle Rocket. There's this role in it called mr henry it would take three days of your time to come in and do this 
do you got three days somewhere in your schedule, Mr. Khan? You know, and so like Khan signs up. He does this sort of like extended cameo in the film as Mr. Henry. And on his first day of uh, shooting the night before, they're staying at the motel, the 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 one that, you know, the most of the movie takes place in. He knocks on Wes Anderson's door in the middle of the night. And he was like, he's like amped. And he's like, hey, I got this great idea for this character. Like, I've been studying karate. And I think that he should be doing karate. He's like, he's like, let me, let me show you some of my moves. And he like, he, he like brings him over to the mirror. And he's like, look, you can shoot it like this. And like gets him in a headlock. And Wes Anderson is like, I, I, I am trapped in Sonny Corleone's armpit right now. What is going on? <laughs> I don't know if like random martial arts in the movie. It's like, oh, that's where it comes from. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what? So they added this element to Mr. Oh. Henry of like being into karate. His karate instructor in the movie is James Khan's real karate instructor. Oh, cool. Which is how okay. he was cast. So they, they shoot the movie and the movie gets shot pretty easily. You know, it's an easy shoot. No big complaints there. After the movie gets edited, Wes Anderson shows the studio and they hate it because it has a ton of stuff in it that is just goes nowhere, does nothing. The the gang get in a fight in a parking lot and then we never see those characters again that they get in a fight with. It's just like stuff there to sort of like add a history to them, I guess, is the okay. idea of it. But it like doesn't go anywhere in the plot of the movie. So they're like, you need to cut that. And he's like, I absolutely can't cut that. I can't cut it. It's the movie. And, you know, just like would not take any notes from anyone. And so they send the movie to Sundance and they're like, look, it was a big, the short was a big Sundance hit. You know, we'll send it to Sundance. It'll get in Sundance. Hopefully it'll get some good buzz that way. And then you know, we'll release it, you know, in that limited to wide capacity is what their thought process was. But then Sundance rejected the movie, which was a crazy thing because not only had they gotten their short into Sundance, but then Sundance worked with them on the feature in their writer's lab that they have for a lot of the 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 short Mm-hmm. Um, to like develop into features. yeah to develop oh, like the okay. feature and like develop whiplash style was a recent right. kind of yeah. yeah yeah absolutely oh, i was so, wondering how many went that way okay yeah <laughs> yeah so so it was kind of a slap in the face that they were like no this isn't good so then they're like okay well we don't know what they're gonna do what we're gonna do because they also got turned down at telluride and new york film festival um they didn't get into any film festival that they entered the movie into not wow. a single one Sony didn't know what to do. They were like, I, we, I guess we're going to do a test screening because I, we have to just release this movie like a regular movie. And like that means we have to do a test screening because we have to see what general audiences think of this. <laughs> so they do a test screening and it gets the worst scores in Sony history. <laughs> wow. No other movie has ever gotten worse scores in a test screening than Bottle Rocket. Do you happen to know how long this version of the movie was? I think it was like close to two and a half hours. Like it was way too long, way too long. Yeah. And so after the test screening, Sony then was able to use that to be like, you have to cut some of this. Mm -hmm. You have to like literally the, the cards that they were getting back from the test screening were just like people scrawling like this is shit. (laughs) and 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 just like and then like really like crass stuff like why didn't we see her boobs like just like Mm -hmm. a bunch of general audience like like angry personal yes like just a bunch (laughs) of like general audience people that this movie was absolutely not made for 
who had no patience for this rambling sort of, you know, slowly paced movie. Mm -hmm. And, and so they were like, okay, so forget what specifically they're saying, because none of that matters because it's not really that specific. It's mostly just targeted threats. Um, (laughs) Future tweets. Yeah, but but, right. Totally. (laughs) But, but I think the consensus is that they don't like it. And we think that we, they don't like it because it doesn't feel like a movie for general audiences. So you have to cut this stuff or like, I don't know what we're going to do. So he cut about, I think, tw- 20 minutes of footage, something like that from the movie. And, and then we end up with the movie that we get. It's dumped into theaters in January of 1996 in just like two theaters in New York and L.A. That's it. And then it goes straight to VHS. And then it's there that it starts building a cult following. James L. Brooks holds a screening of the movie for a bunch of critic friends that he has, a bunch of filmmaker friends. Ben Stiller's there. Like a lot of a lot of like people, like 90s people are there wow. watching this movie. And then that's how they all sort of got involved. It all became incestuous. Ben it Stiller all came, was like, who is that? Yeah. It all <laughs> came out of that bottle rocket screening you there's a straight line from that bottle rocket screening to zoolander like you know right yeah uh, and it's and it's a lot of that like there's a lot of lines that come out of that bottle rocket screening but critics love the movie they thought that it was so you know specific the voice of it was so specific but you know general audiences hated it because it's slow it's weird it's rambling yeah Um, well i was uh i was trying to uh, watching it imagine like just just how different this movie was from the landscape in 1995. Mm-hmm. Even in the alt comedy kingdom, it's I don't know because when I think of alt comedy in the 90s, it's like you know like Bob Odenkirk, David Cross, yeah, yeah, and this is so gentle and quiet. You almost it almost like like James Conn, it takes you a couple minutes to like oh I'm watching a comedy. This is this is funny. It's just the very quiet, subtle kind of nature. Yeah. so much of it yeah. is just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being a witch, Bob Odenkirk should be in a Wes Anderson movie at some point. Ooh. He'd fit right in. Oh, yeah. That could be. Oh, yes. Like the Burgermeister of some village. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the The movie made its way around Hollywood. Hollywood liked it a lot, even if general audiences didn't. It became a cult film. And then that led into Rushmore. But that's next I, week. So I can't wait to hear that story because he's basically starting over again. Yes. Yes. Because this was a complete and total failure, this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. It was a long road. I mean, literally, Owen Wilson was like, Owen Wilson, after that test screening, Owen Wilson was like, should I join the military? Like, is this going to work out? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's fun to see some, like, there's some little, like, little cameos and some characters that pop up. And it's kind of an interesting kind of, almost like a prequel to Rushmore in some weird ways, some little, like, music cues and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, for, for a failure... You know, and, and that happens sometimes with filmmakers that I love. If you go back to their first movie, it's not The Witch. It's not Clerks. It's right. like this 80-minute disjointed thing that never comes together, but there mm-hmm. is something there. Yes. But watching this for the first time in like maybe 15 years for me, yeah, uh, I was so amazed at how complete it feels. I kept comparing it to like a first album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's like, whoa, this voice or a first novel, like this voice immediately knows who it is. And it's all there. Yeah. But it's all there with none of the toys and none of the, right. the budget. It's all Even about the- it's all about growing confidence. The voice mm. is there. It's just not confident yeah. yet. Yep. Yeah. And like the um we'll, we'll we'll get into it, but like it's all I think this is almost like the Magna Carta. Like it's all there to me. Mm-hmm. So the structure's from what, there. So yeah, the from what the, yeah. from what the camera's doing. 
to the like the pastiche of like the the controlled of the world. Like, well, we'll talk about it. I can't. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, let's get into it, Nick. Yeah, the movie uh, opens with uh, a really great first joke. And to me, it kind of just like says it, it says the movie in a scene mm-hmm. like it's the thesis statement of the whole movie. Anthony, played by Luke Wilson, is uh, about to check out of a mental hospital. But his best friend, Dignan, played by Owen Wilson, thinks that it is a or wants to believe yes. really yeah, probably. <laughs> that, it, that it's a big, dramatic, daring escape. And so Luke, Anthony is like telling the doctor like, hey. He he! I don't want to let him down. Look how excited he is. He's got like yes. the little mirror behind the bush, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and and they indulge Dignan and like he crawls out. And there's a great part where he's like, "Wow, who, who's pulling the rope back? Did you get someone to help you?" Like, like, like the, yeah, yeah. He like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just make it quick. Don't like this doesn't look great for us for you climbing out, but yeah, that's all right. yeah. And I I and like that's the movie in a scene to me. It's like Anthony is kind of looking upward and forward at like this new future where he's like out of the hospital. He's got this new lease on life, but he doesn't know what he wants to do with it. And Dignan is stuck in childhood and is still kind of like skinned knees, scheming up adventures and plots and sees the world as like this more dramatic, adventurous place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and, and in a lot of ways that's, all of Wes Anderson's filmography. Like there's always <laughs> one character that's like that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll keep talking about it, but yeah, like this, this sense of adventure mm-hmm. and this kind of romantic of like a bygone era mm-hmm. where, you know, you could say things like on the run from Johnny law. Yes. <laughs> a like his, his films are filled with characters that I would describe as very well organized dreamers. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it's like it's like, yeah, I'm dreaming this crazy dream. But also like, look, I put in all of this work. Look at the I, I have a proposal here and I'm going to show you, you know, I relate to that a lot. I mean, I uh, all the kids that I knew in high school that loved Wes Anderson also had very curated rooms. And like I said, would dream of like going to Paris or Italy or New York. And so they would try to recreate their world around this flat Texas landscape. Yeah. A, a more Parisian or European or metropolitan life. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I, yeah, I think about like uh, Jason Schwartzman and Rushmore, how he yep. sort of creates his own world. Um, And then like, yeah, when they're on the bus back from the hospital, Owen Wilson is going through the, their, their 75 year plan. And it's like the first Wes Anderson diorama mm-hmm. of with yep. just markers and paper. Yeah. You, that, that, 75-year plan has as much love as, like, any diorama or landscape in Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. But it's just markers on a paper. And, like, I wanted to pause the screen and, like, look at all... Because there's so much love and humor in every line. Uh, surviving into the 21st century, I think, was yeah. my favorite. Yeah, some of the lines from that. Living the 21st century, uh, one, remain flexible. Two, don't be too derogatory. <laughs> just little things. It's just wow. very odd, but that's great. That's that's true. That, that comes yeah. in handy now. Yeah. And then I assume this was the kind of the spine of the short. They uh, Dignan and Anthony rob a house, mm-hmm. and then you find out that it was it was Anthony's house. Yeah, <laughs> they robbed his own house. I really love the scene after the robbery where they're doing notes and criticisms. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's I'm I was I was happy to hear what you said about how they kind of met each other in theater or in college because this conversation rings very true to me. 
of like two friends going over like okay what worked and what didn't work like yeah. after a sh- after a show yeah that makes but, a lot of sense and then i feel like another thing happens it feels very wes anderson-y and it's difficult to articulate but anthony goes to visit his sister grace and something about the older sibling seeking validation from the younger sibling mm-hmm. that just feels and then i also feel like what uh 500 days of summer took that and ran with it oh true mm. yeah with with uh, chloe moretz but yeah, yeah. um and yeah, even the school, it just feels like a very Wes Anderson setting with none of the budget of like, mm-hmm. they're all wearing little school uniforms. Yeah. Well, they do they do a really good job in this movie of finding locations that feel like Wes An- a Wes Anderson film without bu- having to build anything. I yeah. was thinking, yeah, this is a miracle in like production design or like prop location scouting and like like funneling a creative vision through just finding stuff that's already there. And not having the luxury of like making it or designing it. I love yes. how um, Grace's friend Bernice like gives him such a look when she walks away. It's like, is this the pile? And then she kind of like stares at him and walks off. It's just, yeah, captures a great moment there. And and yeah, Anthony is very much what we will come to see as the Wes Anderson protagonist mm-hmm. um, in Moonrise Kingdom and going on and on and on. But he just he, he's he's missed a step. He's just like he's gone out of the mental hospital and he's kind of rudderless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he defends Dignan. From his uh, from Grace. Grace isn't a big fan of Dickman. <laughs> uh, we meet uh, Bob. Yes. I really like that scene where um, Dignan is interviewing Bob in the car. Yeah. Is that is that supposed to be the first time they meet, or do they know each other for a while? And he's like doing an interview with like his friend. Oh, I definitely <laughs> feel like I definitely feel like it's the second one. Okay, yeah, Bob, yeah. a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, Bob and is it, Bob is interesting cuz Bob Musgrave, the actor playing Bob. This is a three lead movie and only sure. two of them went anywhere after this. And I think uh Bob Musgrave, he still lives in Texas. You know, it's interesting because he doesn't look he looks like a real person. He doesn't look like any actor i've ever seen you know the the shape of his head i don't know like it's just like he's just a very interesting look for a for for a protagonist in a in a uh in a film um i don't know Seems very sincere just like, yeah just yeah a beaten he, down kind of guy yeah he yeah. reminds me i mean i mean he looks like a real person he looks like a, someone that you knew in high school mm-hmm. and like he's literally like the friend with a car yeah, and yeah. that just is so indicative of what it's like to be at that age or even a little younger. Of you really are just stuck with what you have. Yeah, yeah. and like whether it's filmmaking or just trying to get laid, like you have a friend with a car, and that's your friend with a car. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, and then they're trying out. Uh, they buy some guns and try out guns. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's great. And like again, that scene to me is like the has such an understanding of what the movie is about. It's these men quote who are still very much stuck in childhood mm-hmm. but dream of what they see as manhood mm-hmm. and that's what mr henry represents yes we're like the archetypal that's what that's how we're supposed to be we're supposed to be broad-shouldered and we're supposed to shoot guns yep right and and that again is something i think wes anderson is obsessed with this sort of whether it's steve zizu or royal tenenbaum like living up to the the bygone era of masculinity yeah yeah, I I also why I love about that scene is like the sort of character work they do and how each of them shoots a gun. Right, how they're yes. posturing. Yeah. 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 The uh, Bob Bob's looks like, so like Yeah, Bob's like, like shooting from the like, side. Yeah. <laughs> and Dickens shoots like, that giant gun at the end. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of 
Yeah, and they're 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 posing, and even like in the language Dignan uses, he he they're really trying. He wants this to feel like they're in like Michael Band's Heat, yes, or mm. like <laughs> like they're like they're John Dillinger, and they're out running the law, and they're pulling some grand romantic like wave of summer of crime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then we get the uh, the robbery at the uh, the bookstore. I yeah, I, why are you wearing? Why are you putting tape on your nose? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the interesting thing about this scene is, like, in the short, they don't actually show the robbery. They just mm, that's right. They yeah. they cut away. They show them walking up to the door and knocking on the window, and then they cut to post robbery because you know they couldn't afford to shoot the robbery. Yeah. <laughs> but the robbery itself is. Like a really funny sequence, and it's and it's so interesting too that like I don't know, it's just so funny like Dignan picking just like the worst places to to rob yeah. because he's like because they're accessible, you know, like yeah. because yeah, yeah, the most low risk, right, yes. right. Yeah. And like, but he's, he's acting act, yeah. like they're yeah, he's acting like they're robbing like three banks at once, yeah. but he's there, you know, they're robbing like. A little bookstore well, with like, like almost, $500. I was going to say, once they're in and walking around, it kind of looks like a college bookstore. Like, they're just selling, like, textbooks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great. Actually, like, that whole scene could be, like, you just, like, put that over in Life Aquatic, I think. Oh, sure. Which is, like, it's kind of stressful. It's chaotic. But mm-hmm. it's it's showing kind of, like, the, re- like, it's still heightened, but kind of the reality of violence, which is real violence isn't cool and sexy. It's, like awkward and yeah. like stand over here yeah. yeah yeah no one's acting the way that you imagine them acting and you're in the indignance fantasy right no nope. i think like anthony asked for like a bigger kind of bad he, oh he calls the guy sir <laughs> yeah well so thank he, you because <laughs> at first he like he calls him a name and he like right like does, doesn't mm-hmm. he call him a name or something and then the guy's like yeah Hey, hey, you little twerp or whatever. whatever Yeah. 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 Well, it goes back to that first idea or the thing that you said, Scott, about how like none of the people, the land people, none of them believed Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson and the roommates. Yeah. Like the lie never worked. Right. (laughs) It was like immediately saw right through them. Yes. Exactly. Um, They do get. Oh, please. Oh, sorry. And wasn't the uh, the first guy they see the bookstore? Isn't he the math teacher in Rushmore? That is that the same actor? Oh, yeah. the very beginning. I, I think I wasn't is. sure his background, but yeah, it's like oh, Rick, that guy looked familiar. Yeah. yeah, there's a few people who stay in the company. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like again, little actors. Yeah. yeah, for a movie that like you know was such a you know didn't do very well, it's cool that he kept so many. Yeah, things from it. Um, well, so yeah, I mean that's that's the thing is like I I feel like there's two types of filmmakers, right? They have a flop. And then they never work with anyone involved with that flop ever again out of like <laughs> shame or embarrassment it's cursed. or, it didn't yeah, work or out. It's cursed. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Or there's the kind of person which is like, wow, I owe all of those people so much <laughs> because <laughs> that movie was a flop and it's my fault and mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I keep bringing them back because that sucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's well, there are multiple scenes in Wes Anderson movies that are characters commiserating over group failure yeah mm. true mm. yeah I'm like well that sucked but like <laughs> we're this we'll talk the, about it yeah and <laughs> but this is uh but this we have a good version of it we have a rat we have a successful rap party mm-hmm. oh yeah with the three of them and then bob we, gets we, the spirit award <laughs> yeah well bob so gets happy. the spirit award tonight yeah <laughs> it's it's great and it feels real and the camaraderie between the three actors I think carries the movie there. There's one thing that, that happens in this scene that um, if you look over when, whenever they do a close up of Luke Wilson or not, 
no, Owen Wilson, who mm. is his back is to the front door that is open. You can see in the background cop lights. Oh, um, really? Yes, ah. and that is th- that is there because the cops show up and they have to run from the cops. But they cut oh, okay. all of that. Oh, Got that's right. It. I saw some of the deleted scenes that are still on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. And so it's just there's like a setup for a scene that never happens. So the cops, it just looks like the cops are just like, well, I don't know, we give up. And then just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. kind of adds to their like. Because, like, the next scene is, like, they're on the run. But the fact that we don't see the police after them, it almost adds to them just living in this fantasy world. Yes. Where now they have to go on the run from this crime that, like, no one cares about. Yeah, not <laughs> high stakes yeah. at all. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it wasn't even ever reported. Yeah. And then um, they they go to a fireworks stand. And uh, we get to see some titular bottle rockets. Mm-hmm. And I, around this time, I was thinking, like, well, why is this movie called Bottle Rocket? You know, and they're like, there they are, they're shooting bottle rockets, but like, why is it called bottle rocket? And yeah. it's, it's a cool title because a bottle rocket is juvenile. Mm-hmm. It's, there's something very childlike and innocent about it, but it can hurt you. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. can get, bl- you can get blinded by a bottle rocket. Yeah. And I think that's true of this movie of there are moments of violence and real, very real life or death consequences, mm-hmm. but it's used, it's very, still very childlike and hard to take a bottle rocket seriously. Yeah. It's also it also just like shoots up and explodes and that's it and it's do- it's dope <laughs> you know like it's right, it's yeah. a, it's a very like quick turnaround which is exactly what happens to Owen Wilson over yeah. the course of this movie and they're not like you said Scott they're not planning big heists they're just like popping yeah. in and stealing robbing yeah. a random store right right which makes me think a little bit to the very first like the opening title card to the whole movie is just so jarring it's that like black or the red on black kind yeah. of yeah takes up a little screen. And yeah. It's yes, yeah, it's a kind of thing. It's intense, but it's quick, and it's just mm. yeah, not feeling yeah. There's no you know, like, title there's sequence. a point later yeah. in the movie, like where they're they're planning the the um the cold storage uh, robbery um mm-hmm. in the third act, where they're watching the trucks move in and out, and Owen Wilson is just like it's just like yep, right on time. That's when they go to lunch. See, we do the homework. And we, yeah. we get the thing. And I'm just thinking, like, he did this for the bookstore robbery, and then they made $500. Like, yeah. was all yeah. of the work that he put into making that bookstore robbery happen worth the amount of money that they made, you know? Yeah, and it yeah, really yeah, just, yeah. like, goes to them playing, like, basically like cops and robbers, you know? Like, yeah, that's, right, that's yeah. kind of, like, it's all playtime for, for, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wilson it's is taking it very seriously, but I feel like Luke Luke Wilson is... Not like Anthony yeah. is is like, yeah, I'm playing with my friend. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. And he takes it very seriously, but also very personally. Yes. Like mm. in the in the way that it, you can very you can tell really quickly that it's not whether Digden realizes it or not. It's really about how his friendship with Anthony mm-hmm. or like how Anthony sees him or how Bob sees him. Because he like he every any time like anybody kind of almost like now learning about Wes Anderson where like if someone has a note it's like he's very protective of like the entire mm-hmm. plan. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's the leader. That's his his goal. He wants to get to and yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go to the motel, which I kind of thought is like Wes Anderson's very first playset. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have we we've yeah. met we've met Future Man at this point, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Future Man played by Andrew Wilson, Bob's right. brother. Right, right. Yeah. So I did want to bring that up just because like when as soon as he steps on the screen, I didn't know that he was their brother yet. When he first walks up, I was like, that is the most Texas looking motherfucker I've ever <laughs> yeah. seen in my life. Like he just looks like a Texan. 
Yeah. Yep. Like, holding a football in his hand. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it was just crazy. I was like, wow, that guy looks like Texas. <laughs> yeah. it's He He also looks the least like a Wilson. He almost yeah. kind of looks like a Sean William Scott kind of He actually dude. looks ah. more like a Wilson now that he's grown out a beard. He has a beard now. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And now he looks more like a like a Wilson. He has, like, longer hair and a beard. And now I'm like, oh, okay, now I believe him as the third brother. For yeah. sure. That's into that, yeah. Yeah. I just love the name Future Man, too. It's just never really explained. It's just <laughs> yeah. it's Future Man. Everybody has, like, weird nicknames in this movie <laughs> with no explanations. Yeah, you're, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Applejack. Yeah, Applejack. <laughs> so uh, then we go yeah, we go to the motel. Who's, who's this guy? That's Applejack. Applejack, come on, you know man. Him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, so so uh, Luke Wilson's by the pool, and that's when he sees Inez. Uh, a, a cleaning lady for the motel mm-hmm. instantly falls in love with her instantly starts following her around. Yeah. There's problematic aspects to it now, but I mean like where he's like following her around, but it's very like oh. innocent boyhood. Yeah. Like you're the best girl. I mean, God, the scene where he's like drawing her on a horse at the diner. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, the, yeah. I think those that's are in the... the little booklet there. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah. yeah. The drawing on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those are the <laughs> things that redeem it. Because like yes. it's always, I feel like yeah. it's always teetering on the edge of problematic, yeah. but I don't think yeah. it ever crosses the line. Yeah. And then you know, yeah, please. It, it could, because it's always like he's never doing anything, like he he's never going a, a step too far without her reciprocating. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. so like it's, I think it's pretty well balanced. The only weird, super weird part is when he keeps her sister's picture. Yeah, and it's weird. yeah, but it's a creepy in that way that kids can be creepy. Yeah, when like yeah. they don't. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I like I was scrolling through Letterbox after watching it, and it was just had all these reviews like, "Hey, Luke Wilson, call me Thursday." Luke Wilson hit me with your car. So like, <laughs> I guess it doesn't come off as creepy in the movie. Yeah. But, um, so then there's a the scene pushing the cart. Like he has one hand on the cart with her pushing it. Like little like close. Oh up yeah. There. yeah. When he like helps her, gentle. helps her like take the bed down or like make oh, the yeah. bed. Well, I, I actually have a theory about that, about specifically oh, what you're referring to, because I think that, like, you're right. It is very, like, boy-like, the way that he's doing that, right? And But, however, I think that there is an aspect of that that a lot of, a lot of women probably find attractive because a lot of men don't show an emotional side of themselves and so it's like it's like oh i can either get this hy- hyper masculine man or i can get like this basically little boy yeah. sad yeah soft boy this soft this <laughs> soft little boy and and you know uh teach him you know, to be a man or whatever you know you know what that reminds me of scott and we we talked right over the scene or i i, I walked right past it the future man's first scene he brings a girl over and then while he's oh, like yeah while he's just like beating the shit out of bob off camera yes. uh, ow, ow, yeah. you see this you see this this girl this like you know townie I, not to be rude but you know like you know uh that is just so moon-eyed over uh anthony yeah and he's like you're pretty complicated, aren't you? And he's like, well, I try not to be, and she's just so so enraptured by yeah. it. Yeah, I forgot yeah. Anthony's explanation of like why he went into the the hospital. Yeah, about, like the never wanted to answer a question about water sports ever again. It's just the yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. Whereas Digden is like, don't talk about it. Let's yeah. pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> Anthony feels very comfortable going into like. Yeah, it was like his indecision over a, an old relationship, and he was yeah, like, sure, I, but I, very open about it and just say hey, and yeah. Should, also, yeah. Uh, also like. Uh, starting another running topic in uh, Wes Anderson movies, like characters grappling with their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
and varying degrees of like uh, rawness associated with that. And you mentioned too, like when his when uh, um, Anderson's parents divorced, you said he kind of hit that moment where he was just so kind of lost through that time, trying to figure yeah. what's next. And it seems yeah. like Anthony kind of went into that moment where like he didn't know what to answer. What is his life? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think God, there's a reason I think people are, have such fierce relationships with these movies because anytime you have media that can really handle sadness in an authentic way yeah like people really uh, well, so they're but, at the bar but that's, oh, but that's the thing right is it's not really handling it in an authentic way it's it's handling it in a heightened way that feels yeah. authentic absolutely yeah. yeah and it's and it's like it's that specificity that like i i think that people really respond to because especially when they're teenagers right yes mm. absolutely where everything yeah. is heightened yeah yes mm-hmm. yeah and uh, we'll get it but so they're at the barber shop to get haircuts so that they won't be recognized <laughs> and we find out that future man is in jail because uh bob has been growing marijuana plants in the yard and just future man got caught with it is that what we're led to believe yes i guess yep yep yeah and the dignant is like i don't care we're not going yeah. back, but Bob's- 48 hours just we'll check in on him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they go back to the hotel, the motel room, and Anthony's having like a party in the room with Inez and some of the other people that work at the hotel. And uh, they have like a fight. I and love please. I love him just being well, as soon as he walks in, just being like, oh, am I? Is this the raw? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, so I had a question, and I wrote this down in my notes because they were like they're walking down the hallway and they're arguing over what to do about you know future man being in jail. Yeah, would you describe Owen Wilson's look in this movie as ska? <laughs> huh. I don't know. I feel like the military cut throws it off. Okay, because yeah. he's got the military cut, but he's got like this green button down, yeah, kind of white and green shirt with like a kind of pattern in the middle, and it, it just looks like he could be playing trumpet for the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yeah, I, I could, could see that. Yeah. It's a mid-century thing. Uh, like yeah. this okay. whole this whole movie has like a mid-century look. Um, the motel is a mid-century m- motel. Um, the house, uh, Bob's isn't house, it Frank Lloyd Wright. Or yeah, something? yeah, it's yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright oh, house. Uh, yeah. So yeah. isn't the uh, isn't like ska in the 90s isn't that kind of swing yep coco like because in the mask oh, remember yep. the yep. swing music got really big that's right yeah yeah, yeah. that popped um, up and i think i think weird. i think that is sort of where that comes out of is like punk music mixed with like swing music and then you get ska um, <laughs> <Yep>. essentially <laughs> but yeah uh so the next morning one of my favorite lines in the movie is uh uh Dignan wakes up and says that bob stole his car Yes. <laughs> Bob's gone. He stole his car. His car. It's like, what? <laughs> uh, they're like, it's so, I love how it's just like, it's every like friend being mad at a friend when they're at the diner and he's like, I'm not even like, oh, when you, or when at the hotel and it's like, oh, when I see, when I get a hold of him, you're going to see a side of me that you've never seen before. Like, I'm going to like torture this guy. <laughs> and then we get, I think, arguably the big iconic Scene from this movie, the scene that you always see in like Wes Anderson supercuts, Anthony running back to the hotel and looking for Inez and finding her in the motel room and like and kissing her. Oh, interesting. Stands out. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, I love that scene. It, it's kind of it's a, it's a really good like use of him like doing a needle drop, melding it with what's happening on the camera yeah. in a cool way. Yeah. I forget what song they play in that moment, if that's one of the... Uh... Yeah, I didn't recognize most uh, of the songs here, to be honest. Yeah. With, with uh, yeah. In the short, the thing that I really liked about the short and actually missed in the feature was the choice of music. Uh, the mm. short has a lot of that 60s 
like swing, like 50s, okay. 60s, like sort of big band swing music. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I, I actually thought that it gave it a really specific sound. I assume that he only used that because those were the only songs that he could afford. Um, yeah, yeah. But, and now but, this is a Columbia picture. Yeah. But I, I actually think that um, it suited the, the vibe of the film better. And I think even more so in the future, I think it would have suited it better just because... You know the colors and the mid-century um, architecture and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and as an Anthony go to visit, go to see Dignan, and he's just like shooting fireworks like, yes. sol- sullenly. <laughs> and uh, they invite him out to a bar. He doesn't want to go, but then they're like, I, I don't know. I just feel like every friend group has had that kind of like, come on, come out with us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's weird how this is so heightened, but it is also you can tell this is like two writers in their early twenties writing what they know. Yep. Hmm. And like this is their world right now. Yeah, uh, I I love the scene where they're at the bar and Anthony is just like monologuing, and uh, Dignan is getting his ass kicked in the window <laughs> behind them. Hey, this is great! What? Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's funny. I think it's funny that they pull that gag twice in this movie. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, they cut back. Yeah, they go back to the motel and just like Dignan just wants to get the hell out of the town. There's the idea of Inez stealing a car. Anthony's not into that. And then we 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 meet Rocky. Yes. Mm. Yeah, the translation scene. Now, yeah. th- this translation scene is I would argue the like other than the third act cold storage heist. Right. That that whole set piece. That whole set piece. I think this is the most Wes Anderson thing in the movie. It's not shot like he normally would have shot it. Like you know, you can picture this scene shot by today Wes Anderson, and it would have been all whip pants. Yeah, it would have yeah, been yep. whip pants. You go, you go to her Spanish. You go to Rocky translation. Wait, you go to Lou. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you just keep you keep whip panning she back. This. Yeah. That's that's no, what it would be. Did she say that? No, I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It would all be it would all be whip pants. But it's it's that Wes Anderson sense of humor and mm-hmm. and like you know sp- specific. I don't know, like specific comedy situation, you know, that like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and also uh, like there was this cool part where, uh, where and as kind of turns Anthony down and Rocky is like, well, she's saying that you're trash. Yes. Like paper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you can kind of hear like what she's trying to say, but like, oh, it sounds better in English. And it's like, or it sounds better in Spanish is what Rocky says. And I don't, it was like, um, Wes Anderson gets a lot of flack in like Twitter and in jokes and whatnot. And some of it's warranted of like how white his movies are. Yeah. Hmm. And so it was, it was weird seeing what, like, again, being from Texas, what like a Spanish influence his first movie had. Yeah. Hmm. And I don't know. It was like, they go to like a Mexican bar and like, Inez is from Paraguay and it was just interesting seeing how that kind of goes away in his his later movies mm-hmm. and then yeah. now watching him in the 20s now that it's become like a punchline watching him try and like reckon with that or right. try to you know evolve past that yeah well because his his you know his whole thing is the European influence and like yeah. you know that's a but but a very American education in, of like European right you know like, like idealized a, vision yeah, yeah like Disneyland Europe um, right. You know, yeah. <laughs> and and so, yeah, like, I, I think it does make sense that that's where he drifts into for so long. But I am, you know, that we've got we've got Jeffrey Wright in French Dispatch. Right. And then yeah. we've got um his new movie that he's he just got in, filmed in Spain. Is that the plan? And, yeah. and what I think is even more interesting is yeah. seeing how filmmakers of color 
of the next generation have been so clearly influenced by by Wes Anderson. Yeah, uh, and, Last Man in San Francisco or Last Black Man, Last Man in San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. Oh, I heard that uh, was a good one. Yeah, yeah. it feels uh, a lot like Bottle Rocket. Actually, I, yeah, wow. I feel like Justin Simeon, uh, dear yes. white people, yes, uh, also too. kind of, yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, huh. We yeah. get a really cool scene. So they they leave. Dignan hands Anthony a package, or hands Inez a package from Anthony. I don't know the the relationship between Dignan and Inez. I was so delighted by because it it's very like <laughs> awkward. Like you're dating my friend, but I don't really know yep. you very well. And then we get a very important moment in the movie. Uh, <laughs> Where Rocky runs down the stairs and tells Dignan, like, hey, tell Anthony I love him. He's like, like, all right, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The car breaks down. He's just a confused kid. (laughs) Yeah, that was was all awesome. Uh, The car breaks down. We find out that Anthony gave the $500 to Dignan to give to Inez. It's a pointless act. <laughs> yeah. I'm so mad. Uh, yeah, that and that fight was great. And it's it's just, I don't know, kind of what I said earlier about how, like, this could this could be from Dumb and Dumber, you know? Yeah. Of, like, this is the too- kind of was a slash, too. I, was, I forgot about that with, like, the screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah, and the very Wes Anderson of lulls you with the comedy and then yep. all of a sudden have this burst of shocking violence. Yeah. That just so, jostles yeah. you. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, they have their their breakup. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like I do, I like learning the, the 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 music that was playing when they hotwired the car was by uh, Over and Done with by the Proclaimers, which I had never known any of the songs beyond I would walk five hundred miles. You know, there was their big I hit. Was, I was going to say good, yeah. That's like a the rare time that Anderson would use a needle drop from the decade that the movie takes place in. Yes, yeah, sort of that very mod because the Proclaimers were again in the yeah. public awareness by that point. So yeah, like the idea of even like if a Decemberist song played during the French Dispatch would be so weird. <laughs> yeah, it seems too on brand, but Whoa, yeah, in a weird what? way. Yeah, this is from the 21st century. Yeah, <laughs> and Anthony, in the wake of his breakup with Dignan, starts what he calls a whole new program, where he just starts a new life, and he 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 writes a handwritten letter to Grace. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, another Anderson motif, like exposition delivered through a charming handwritten letter. Yep, I really like the moment where he's like, "Say what you will about Dig- about Dignan, but he's not a cynic, and he fights for what he wants." Yeah, I feel like everyone has a Dignan or ha- has a friend that has maybe got them in as much trouble as they've gotten them out of. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, God, I don't even know why I'm friends with you. But then without thinking about it, you find yourself defending them. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just still stuck with them. Yep. yep. Um, And they run into Dignan. He's he's in a yellow jumpsuit. He's working for Mr. Henry's lawn care company. Yes. <laughs> There's this great scene where. Dignan goes to Anthony's house and is like, hey, do you want to... He's got like this motorcycle that he's trying to show off. <laughs> this is obsessive. Yeah. And then Future Man shows up and just verbally just takes down Dignan. Like, you're a fucking idiot. You look stupid. Yeah. And Anthony sees this and like the pain and like how vulnerable Dignan is. And that's what gets him to join Mr. Henry's crew. Yeah. It's like, God damn it, I'm in and just wants to be there yeah. for him. Um. It's weird how the when when Scott when you said that like the karate stuff and like him wearing a kimono yeah it he has like a little ponytail the, at one point yeah in the, the little scene, yeah ponytail yeah. yeah it's it's weird it's crazy that, that was a con <laughs> contribution because it feels like a midlife crisis kind of appropriation like it's like oh yeah like it's great like I'm in, I do karate now it's awesome yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Mr. Henry really does a lot to the story and I think he was a great addition. Yeah, I agree. And maybe because it's James Caan, it's almost kind of becomes accidental metacasting mm-hmm. of like how just in like 
all three guys, Bob, Anthony, and Dignan, are just like looking up to him and just see him as like, oh, you're so cool. That's who I want to be. Yeah. He has the shark tooth necklace. That was the first thing I <laughs> caught with him. It's just like, yeah. oh, it's kind of. <laughs> or like when they go to the country club and he's just holding court over everyone. Yeah. And we meet the whole crew, including Kumar Palana. Oh, uh, yeah. Pops up in a lot of stuff. Definitely. Uh, Anthony calls the motel. The little detail to him, like knowing everyone's name. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's just very sweet that he just he learned everyone's name and just yeah, yeah, nice, nice fit shows his character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, because we find out about the "I love you" translation. I thing. I, I think that this is uh, so funny because after she confirms that she does in fact love him, I think he just hangs up and just starts dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he was so impressed with how well she, how how well her English was. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, I. The part in the letter, he's like, Grace, if I could give, offer you any advice, learn a foreign language. Yeah, yeah. Do it. <laughs> uh, it's- oh, there's one scene I remember when he's doing the, the letter and they're showing it. They, he and Bob are doing all these jobs. And then you see Bob like slowly paying off future man's legal debts. Yeah. Can I just get $3 for like, gas? It's like, no, <laughs> you can't. So, yeah, it's like, just the little moments. Yeah. And then, like Scott said, we get the big set piece of the movie, Bird Dog to Scarecrow. <laughs> Anthony is providing a lookout for this, like, I think the worst heist in movie history. Yeah. I, so, so this is to me the most sort of iconic portion of this movie. Yeah. Yellow jumpsuits do a lot of that heavy lifting. I was saying that's a really stealth Wes Anderson costume that you could pull off. Yes. Ooh. Yes. That's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, um, Patrick Willems did that. What if Wes Anderson directed X-Men? Uh, short film, right. yeah, and oh, yes. and, yeah. and that's basically what the X Men are wearing: are yellow jumpsuit suits with like taped X's on their chests. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this whole sequence is a delight. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're so frustrated with Bob, though. Bob. Oh yeah, Bob. Yeah. Uh, like, we won't don't want to be here. Yeah, I'm all alone. Oh down my god, there. <laughs> you go down there, and it's like, but I'm alone up here. Like what? Oh, man. <laughs> when Anthony calls him, and he's like, I don't really want to do this high. It's like me neither, man. And <laughs> it's like, hey, takes that and runs with it. Kumar is just a delight through all of this. Just sitting in the safe room, he's like, what are you doing? Like, yes. You never like, could, I could open not it. do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> like I lost it, man. I lost. It. You never had <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, when he's just in the when they just open the door and he's just in the freezer, oh, yeah, <laughs> just like, it's like what are you doing there? <laughs> oh, uh, no. The the people come back from lunch and Dignan's like, you go to lunch. Like sometimes we don't. Like yes, you do. Always you do. <laughs> like that. Like you were saying earlier with the bookstore robbery. It's just like it's like these constant little things of like this is not going to go the way that you think, and it's all going to be stupid shit that gets in the way. Like the <laughs> yeah. elevator constantly going off, and they're like, who's on the elevator? <laughs> like who's there? <laughs> Of like reality getting in the way of your expectations and your yep. yes. your plans. Yes, and I, I, it's so interesting that this movie ended. I don't want to. Well, you know, success coming out of failure, and we'll get into it in the ending of the movie, which I love. Yep. But like, you know, this movie didn't go the way the Wilsons or Wes Anderson planned, probably. Right. And like, this movie is about characters dealing with failure and finding meaning and solace out of failure. Like, I I love that they they like Dignan needs to go back for Applejack. Yeah, it's yes, like, he's like we, we. I'm the leader. <laughs> it's up to me. I finally have this big moment to show my leadership. Yeah. yeah, he also Wes Anderson loves like camaraderie through whether it's like a, a film crew shooting a, a nature documentary or a bunch of Boy Scouts. 
like oh, yeah, just team. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, the team. Yeah, and I love the like, the Rolling Stones that big montage. Yeah, of, of of Dignan going down. He goes back for Applejack, but like the keys are in the van, and he he. Uh, is it a tracking shot? Do we get a do we get a Wes Anderson tracking shot in this? Ooh, is that a tracking shot? I There's don't... a part where they're all three of them because like because Dignan goes to jail. Yes. Yep. Um, we cut to Christmas. Yep, it's a little bit later. Which I was, um, which was unexpected. I think the only reason we know it's Christmas, right, is because of the Christmas Carol that's playing in the background, and like oh, there's yeah. and there's decorations in the office. Oh, there are. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. Little moments, but that's very Texas. <laughs> yeah, of, like you wouldn't you wouldn't know that it's Christmas <laughs> oh, except yeah. for yeah, all the. True. And I think we get like a little tracking shot of Bob and Dignan and Anthony like walking together, but they're visiting him. He's in jail for like twenty three months. They're in they're on the bleachers. And they're kind of going over. He's a little, Dignan's a little bummed that, like, Mr. Henry kind of uh, blew them off. He kind of forgives them even after they told, like, where's what yeah, Mr. So, Henry did? So, yeah. so I guess we haven't mentioned this yet, but, but Mr. Henry, the whole point of the of the cold storage robbery, that the reason that Mr. Henry set them up with that is just because mm-hmm. he wanted to rob Bob's house. Yeah. So, like, like yeah. he just distracts them all with that while he steals Every piece of furniture, yeah. every everything out of Bob's house. Bob's like he got everything. Yeah. It was just like, I, oh, I bet he, I bet he went right for the grand piano. <laughs> it's worth ten thousand dollars. It's like. worth ten grand. Yeah. <laughs> and he made, he made he made belt buckles for everybody, but no one yes. else. Like you can give it to him. I'm not mad about it. It's, yeah, uh, <laughs> just like oh, you know. And there's this moment where Dignan says like, wow, but but we really did it, didn't we? And and then he's like, yeah, we did. And I'm like, what? They, yeah, they did nothing. Nothing worked, <laughs> but they're together. Yeah, like yeah. their friendship survived whatever this ordeal was, mm-hmm. and I think that's what he means by that. Mm-hmm. So, and even they said Bob. Bob said that even he and Future Man are now closer together after yeah. all of this. Is just a little moment. It's nice. Yeah, of like yeah, and I I think that you know you can't control how a plan will go, mm-hmm. but yeah. you can you have control over what you can do with these relationships that you have in your life. Yeah. And like friendships and stuff, and it's it's a it's a really poignant ending for like yeah your first time at bat these guys are like what twenty four twenty five yep. when this came out yeah. right right and I love that little joke where Diggins go okay here's what we're gonna do you oh, take that, out the yeah. guard here and just the little even Diggins kind of knows okay I needed oh, I'm really big yeah. on these plants and do a little joke it's good and yeah. the real the kicker at the end that really breaks your heart is like we're following him in slow motion like. And you can see that look on his face in Owen Wilson's eyes where he kind of wanted to be telling the truth. Yeah. Mm, that's a good call. Yeah. He still hasn't let go of that spirit, like, uh... but he's been humbled enough by the real world. Yeah. That he knows that he, this is, he has to you know carry out this sentence. He's going to be there for two years. And when he gets out, he's just going to go right back to it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's always, yeah, he'll have a whole another notebook of schemes. Yeah. That yes. he's written in prison. Yeah. Because it's going to be reversed now. Anthony's going to come pick him up from his right. Oh uh, yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, I I had seen this once. I rented it on physical Netflix, like back when I first started doing that, like yeah, in 05 exactly. or 06. And it, I I was really, I'm really glad we came back to it because I think I got a lot more out of it watching oh, it now. Yeah. yeah, remember the first few times I saw it, I just didn't get everything at first now even like i even get there's like isn't there a joke with um his name is bob maplethorpe which is kind of an odd joke yeah. like robert Mather- maplethorpe it's right like, all right but it's just little things i've missed before but it's been fun seeing yeah. it again yeah it's it's interesting how you know there's so every, it's plenty of first movies are like buddy comedies about friendship 
but I don't know. Like this has so much. I can see what people like Martin Scorsese or people at that screening saw in this first work. Yeah, and was like, oh my gosh, this is such a fully realized film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so ends Bottle Rocket. Yeah, Scott, what were your kind of final thoughts like revisiting this movie? You know, again? I I I really enjoy this movie. I do think that he probably could have cut another twenty minutes out of it. It it does go on a little bit long. There's a lull in the pacing in a couple of moments, uh, a couple of couple of sections in the movie where it's just like, okay, come on, let's let's <laughs> move on to the next thing. And I will say that the third act of the movie feels almost entirely disconnected from the rest of the movie. It's like it's like there's there's three very specific acts that all feel disconnected from each other. There's right. the bookstore act, first act. There's the motel second act, and then there's the the third act with the with the cold storage robbery, mm-hmm. and they all feel very disjointed, disjointed, and and I wish I wish it all felt like part of a whole, but you know it is what it is. It's a first album, you know, like like Nick was saying, yeah. it's a first album. It's a bunch of ideas that you know, and a bunch of techniques and things that they're they're experimenting with and trying to figure out, and I think that everything gets improved tenfold in Rushmore and then again like solidifies in Royal Town and Bombs. And so it's a really quick, you know, turnaround from like I'm figuring out what I'm doing to like I am a master of my craft. <laughs> and it happens really quickly. But it's an interesting watch. It, yeah, it's it's like a first album, but it's not it's not like any first album. It's like an a first album from a band that everyone discovered on the second album. And then you go back and you go and find that first album that was like a little indie thing. Like So Green Day. Le, like Green Day, like My Chemical Romance. Mm, yeah, um, you know, like like any of those any of those kinds of bands where it's Kendrick like, Lamar. Yeah. It's like the second album hits and they're like, Wow, wait, they had a first album and you get it and you're like, <laughs> Oh, oh I, I could see that they were yeah, that's that's uh, yeah. that's yeah, okay. There's some cool yeah. stuff in here. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what this feels uh, like. <laughs> Chris, any final thoughts on Bottle Rocket? You know, that's the same thing. I think you can just see, as you mentioned, like, even though it's a little disjointed, it just all the seeds of future Wes Anderson stuff is there. Mm-hmm. So it's just such a fun rewatch. And I like that echoing the whole idea of it. When you watch it when you're a little bit older, it hits that much harder. Kind of those like yeah. life experiences. I think mm-hmm. that all comes together. But it's, I guess it's a great first start. And you can sort of see a lot of a lot of threads from here for future stuff. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Can't wait to can't wait to keep going. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us chris uh we, thank you so much for having yeah me. of course we really appreciate that uh all of you listening if you haven't joined our patreon at duelinggenre.com slash support check it out uh and you know for as little as five dollars a month you can get three bonus podcasts a week nick hosts dueling genre tonight every week uh where we talk about uh the week's entertainment news um we yes. have dueling genre verses which is a rewatch podcast every saturday with a revolving panel of dueling genre hosts and then friday is sort of uh i don't know it's different every week but you know that that uh uh that bonus podcast um includes our franchise uh franchise potential podcast um which comes out the same day as our in between episodes on the main feed where we talk about a a, a a franchise starter film that never went anywhere. Um, use just some sort of like failure, um, whether it was financially, creatively, or both. Um, that's uh, that's what we talk about on those episodes, and those are exclusive to Patreon. So check all of that out. That's DuelingGenre.com/support. 
join the page, join the Discord. Um, that is uh, the link for that is in the show notes. Follow yeah. us on Twitter, and of course, share your Wes Anderson uh, thoughts with us. Uh, franchiseography at duelinggenre.com, and we might read your email on the next in between episode. So, thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week with Rushmore. Bye-bye. Bye. So